Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. The sermon series that we are in is our Advent series. I know it's not Thanksgiving yet, but man, we just decided that we needed a little bit longer, a little bit more time to explore who Jesus is. And that's really why we want to come back to Christology at the end of the year as we think about Advent. I know that it's usual to, to preach different things like peace, love, joy, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, just preaching through the, the narrative of Jesus' birth, but we wanted to do something a little different. And so we're we're titling this sermon series, What Child Is This? Uh, just, you know, good song reference there. Uh, and the, the subtitle here is most important, Jesus According to Jesus. And so we're covering these seven traditional I am statements in the book of John. And uh, this morning we are in our, in our third one, Jesus is the door of the sheep. We're going to be in John 10, 1 through 10. We will focus on verses 7 through 10. Uh, today, but we will read that whole text. <coughs> Excuse me. Still dealing, dealing with a little bit of a cough from uh, being sick like a month ago. Any y'all got that? Yeah, you know. <coughs> so apologies. Again, John 10, verses 1 through 10. If you're there, or even if you're not, if you're able, please stand with me as we read the word of the Lord this morning. John 10, 1 through 10 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will free, flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. <coughs> Lord God, we just thank you for this time that we have together this morning to look into your word and understand your son, Jesus, according to his own words. Lord, we understand from this text that he is the only way. Lord, he is the, the only door to the kingdom of heaven. Lord God, we pray that you would help us this morning to, to cherish that truth, not to capitulate to this world which teaches us that we should accept all kinds of different kinds of faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to, to walk through that door if, if, Lord, there are those here who have not. Lord, for those who are here today and Lord, they've walked through that door, but They've forgotten how good it is to be the sheep of your pasture. Lord, help us to remember that truth, to remember that you are there, you are the good shepherd. 
Lord, we thank you for this. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Again, this morning we're going to be focused in verses 7 through 10 of this passage that I just read. We'll get to more of the good shepherd part of this uh, at, at, at a later date, actually next week. But uh, for this week, we're just focused on Jesus as the door. Now, as many of you know, I'm a big fan of sci-fi and fantasy. I love this stuff, all right? And those two always go together. You know why? Because they're, they're variations on the same theme. Sure, sci-fi has blasters and laser rifles and spaceships, and, and fantasy has swords and horses, right? But what's the main difference? The main difference is that uh, it, it is those things, and then the, the most important one is that in sci-fi, you get uh, the answer to most questions is technology did it. And in fantasy, the answer is a wizard did it. It's really the only difference between fantasy and sci-fi. I love this stuff. I, I, it's, it, they're interesting because they're, they're asking this wonderful question and willing to go into sort of outlandish depths with it. Just one simple question, what if? What if? What if we could suspend disbelief in one area? What if there were wizards? What if there were laser blasters? What if we could have faster than light travel? What if? H.G. Wells, the time machine, asks the question, what if human society devolved over time? The movie Equilibrium asks the question, what if we could remove emotion with a single daily drug? Interesting questions. J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings asks, what if hobbits existed and they had to save the world? Crazy questions, right? <laughs> but it works so well. I mean, if that doesn't sound like an intriguing what if question, what is it, you know? But here's a, here's a what if question that, that doesn't really work. What if we lived in a world without doors? Can you imagine a world without doors? What kind of crazy world would that be? I mean, I went through no less than three doors to come to this place today, to stand on this stage. I walked out of the door to my house. I got into the door of my car. I went out of that door, and I came in this back door back here. If I hadn't had doors, what would happen? Well, you have one of two opportunities here to, to play this what-if game, right? So either, either you're going to have a set of places where no one can ever go because there's no entry or exit point, or you're going to have everything open to the outside all the time. See, doors are necessary for civilized life as we know it because they're a means of formal and legitimate entrance into another person's property. That's the, the meaning of a door. That's what a door is. Sure, you could gain entry by climbing through a window or something. But let me ask you this. If someone climbed in the window to your house, what would you do? Now, suffice to say that, that they would not continue to exist inside of your home for very long, right? I mean, some of you are looking for an excuse to exercise your Second Amendment rights here. Look, you're probably going too far, all right? They just entered through a window. They're not trying to kill you. They might be just trying to steal your TV, and that's not worth a life, okay? But all that to say, that person wouldn't stay inside your house for long. The, the appropriate response would be immediate defenestration. And some of you are going, what does that mean? To toss someone back out the window they came in. Defenestrate. It's a great word. Look it up. I love that word. It's, it's hilarious. Windows and holes 
are not how you gain legitimate entry into another person's property, are they? This does not work very well. Jesus says he is the door to eternal life. He's the only legitimate means of entry into the kingdom of God. I realize that maybe implies that there are illegitimate means of entry. There are not. He is the only means of entry into the kingdom of God. It's important that you understand the singular nature of that phrase from verses 7 and 8. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Sorry, verse 9, then I am the door. The is singular. The grammar there is clear. He is the door, not just a door. Anyone attempting to get to heaven by any other means is trying to essentially crawl in through a window or cut a hole in the wall. It's not going to work out very well. This is important because we live in an increasingly pluralistic society. There are a lot of people in this world around us every day that complain that God should allow them to come to him however they please. That we should all sort of make up a God in our minds, then worship him however we determine without any input from him about who he is, what he's done, or how he desires to be worshipped. That is most people in our culture these days. We cannot let this be so for us. While others insist that there is no absolute truth or that absolute truth cannot be known, we must insist that God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures and through Jesus Christ himself. You see, God was not obligated to give us any way back into relationship with him after the fall in Eden. Did you know that? He would have been within his rights as a creator, as the holy God, to immediately strike Adam and Eve dead in their places and wipe humanity off the face of the planet. That would have been totally within his rights. He was not obligated to give us grace and mercy, but he did give us the door. Without this door, no one could enter into eternal life, but through Christ, we can shout at the top of our lungs that all who believe are saved. Yet many find themselves excluded not because the free offer of the gospel is not presented to them, but because they will not believe. They refuse to enter through the door as Jesus' sheep. They want entry according to their rules, but God rightly demands that we enter his kingdom by his rules. By grace, through faith, in Christ. Those are the terms. Have you ever actually read a contract and sought to fully understand what it meant word by word. I know some of you practice law, so you have. Have you ever thought about what those things might mean? In our litigious society, contracts are really almost works of art, aren't they? It's hard to understand all of the complexities. They set forth these complex terms and conditions that protect each party from liability while still just barely getting each one what they want. How most contracts seem to work. In fact, just this past week, someone was telling me about how their car's warranty, their contracts were written in such a complex manner that they have spent nearly two weeks arguing with the dealership about whether a defect was covered or not. 
two weeks to figure out whether a contract really means what it says or if there's some loophole. God's contract is different. It's the new covenant made in Christ's blood. It isn't filled with all sorts of gotchas. No human lawyer would write such a contract, would they? <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. You get two lawyers in a room, they're going to design something complicated. No offense to the lawyers in the room. But the contract is simple. We bring nothing. God brings everything. That's the contract. All of it is accomplished for us. If only we, we repent of our sin and trust in Christ. You could not write a better contract. You could not. Give God all the stuff that's killing you. That's what, that, that's what that is. Give him all of your sin. Give him all the stuff that's killing you. Get eternal life. That's pretty good. That's a good deal, isn't it? Think about it. It's a good deal. Christ is the door. And there are no others because no others are needed. Yet Christ acknowledges that this is hard. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This way is hard because faith and repentance are hard while we continue to deal with our own sin, the sins of others, and the brokenness of this creation that has been cursed because of sin. The way is hard not because the covenant requires too much of us. It's hard because walking in the light is going to bring resistance this side of glory, isn't it? We talked about the light this past week. You feel that resistance sometimes? You want to walk in the light, but it's hard. It runs counter to this culture that we live in. It runs counter to what we, what we believe, doesn't it? Or not, not what we believe, but the, what the world believes, doesn't it? It's counter to everything. Because this is so counter to what we are naturally. Many refuse to enter the kingdom of God by way of repentance and faith in Christ. In fact, I would go so far as to say that God must do a work in the heart of man in order to make him able to believe. Not only make him able to believe, but to make him believe. He just imparts faith. He says, this is yours. He regenerates. But to natural man, being called to repentance, that's repugnant. Terrible. Why would I want to repent? I got all this wonderful stuff in this world. Why would I want eternal life? I get to have fun here and now. No. When God regenerates, he opens our eyes and helps us to see the value of his glory, doesn't he? Luke 13, 24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The door is Christ alone, and we will enter by faith alone. Every other supposed means of salvation other than Jesus is a dead idol or an antichrist. Here are some examples that might rub you the wrong way today. I'm just going to walk into dangerous territory confidently. World peace is a good pursuit, but if contributing to it is your means of getting to heaven, it is an idol. Feeding the hungry and healing the sick 
are good pursuits. But if you believe that doing those good works are the door to eternal life, you have been deceived. The sacraments or ordinances are not the door. They are external signs of God's grace to his people through Christ. Or they're idols. When you come to the Lord's table every Sunday, if that is your door to eternal life, it's an idol, not a sacrament. Jesus Christ is the door. Priests, pastors, popes, none of them are the way to salvation. And if they set themselves up as such, they are antichrists. They're thieves and robbers. Look, and I, I, I count myself in that, in that group. If you are counting on me to get you to heaven and you think that I've put that out there like that, correct me. Come at me. Tell me that. And if you need correction this morning, look, I don't want you to count on me to get you to heaven because I can't even get me to heaven. That's the reality. I can't get me to heaven. Only Christ can get me to heaven. And that's, that's as good as we can do for me. If I preach Christ with my words and my actions, then by all means, use me to see him more clearly. But if I fail to be the pastor you want or even need me to be, remember that Christ is the door. Don't let me get in your way. I was helped greatly by a, a point that Charles Spurgeon made regarding this passage back in 1879. 1879, man, a long time ago. He reminded his congregation that neither the sacraments nor clergy nor good works are the door. No, Jesus made it a point to say, I am the door. We enter to, into salvation by Christ himself. By faith, we walk through that door and into eternal life. Baptism, church membership, the Lord's Supper, and good works are not the door. Remember this, they are not the door. Those are not how you enter into the kingdom of God. You don't get eternal life by obeying commandments. You get death. Did you know that? If you seek to obey the commandments and you think that that's going to get you into heaven, you're wrong. That's legalism. And that legalism leads you to death. That's precisely what the Pharisees were trying to do. It's, it's what many people try to do. They want so badly to just go, well, if I follow these rules, then I get into heaven, right? Or if I outweigh the good with the bad, whatever it is, then I'm going to get into heaven, right? No. Obedience is not a means of salvation. It is the fruit of salvation. It's the fruit. It's what comes out of salvation. But your salvation is wrought by Christ alone. Salvation is accomplished only through Jesus. He says that all who came before him were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. That's John 10, 8. Thieves and robbers. This, uh, this verse like, reminds me of Wiley Coyote. You remember Wiley Coyote? Any of you actually remember Wiley Coyote? Please. Okay, thank you. I talked about video games a couple of weeks ago, and none of you responded, and so I decided that I would go back a little bit further. Wiley Coyote should be relatable to all of us. How many times do you remember him, like, painting a door or a tunnel on a wall to, like, catch the roadrunner? 
right? You remember this? He'd paint it on the wall, and then the Roadrunner would just like zoom straight through it, right? Well, that doesn't apply, but he does try to paint this false door. He tries to paint a false way. And there are those who will seek to deceive the world by presenting these false doors to eternal life. <coughs> Earlier this week, I, uh, I spent about three hours working on a problem that didn't exist. Don't you love it when that happens at work? You ever do this? Man, one of the most frustrating things. One of the engineers that reports to me was on an emergency call, and he was a bit out of his depth. A co-worker so, uh, went in and joined him, and she wanted to see if she could help. And in the meantime, I got the rest of my team together on a different call, and we started kind of working quietly, supporting our teammate. So you've got <coughs> maybe five or six software engineers all like for, focused on this one thing for all of about two or three hours. You see, we had just made a change and another system had gone down and that had happened at the exact same time. The system was completely unrelated to ours, but the coincidence was kind of hard to ignore. And so it was so actually so hard to ignore that everyone on that call got laser focused on our change as the culprit for this other system going down. And so over an hour later, we finally rolled back our change. And in the meantime, nothing else had been accomplished. Everybody was so laser focused on this as being the way to a solution that they hadn't done anything else. Nothing had been gained. Reverting our change looked like it was a solution, but it ended up not being the solution. It was completely unrelated. And so we had spent probably two hours with six software engineers trying to solve this one problem that didn't even exist. Reverting our change looked a lot like a solution, but it wasn't. It was a false door. It was us running face first into the wily e. Coyote false door. I think it looks like that, but it's not. There are a lot of things in this life that seem promising, but we have to remember not to place our hope in them. There is one door, and that is Christ. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, listen to your master's voice today. You may be tempted to hedge your bets and try to save yourself or the world through other means. But follow the voice of Jesus. Don't hedge your bets. Go all in. Working for the good of others is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But remember that salvation only comes from the Lord. Just a few weeks ago, I, I saw a few relatively influential people talking about something called techno-optimism. Anybody heard that one? Nobody. Okay, good. All right. I figured I was the only weirdo in this group. I, I was intrigued. Techno-optimism. Intrigued. So I was like, okay, let's do a little deep dive on this new philosophy, right? In a nutshell, the thought is simply that technology rightly applied can produce a sort of utopian society. I, I want to call it like the Star Trek principle. If you, any of you watch Star Trek, that's, that's kind of where they, they were at. Now, you might scoff at this sort of thing, that technology can actually solve the world's problems. But if I didn't know better, I honestly would be tempted by this. I'd think that maybe like, we could create enough good technology that we could extend the lifespan of human beings, that we could somehow ferret out all of the bad stuff. If I, if I didn't know Jesus and I didn't know this, the word of God, I would think maybe this could be the solution. 
probably the only one in the room. I like the idea that we can aim at something and strive for it, and perhaps we could even achieve it. And look, I'm, I'm all about the betterment of society. I want people to be free from pain and filled with joy. I desire that. But techno-optimism is a false door, isn't it? It's not that we can't be optimistic about what technology might be able to accomplish for humanity. It's accomplished a lot of good things over the course of the year. Wheels, technology, it's a good thing. Wheels are good things. Computers, maybe 50-50. And I work on computers for a living. It's not that we can't be optimistic, but if we make that our hope for life without pain or tears, we've got a problem. Our only hope for eternal life like that is Jesus Christ. Look, I, I, again, I doubt there are many of you sitting in this room who are tempted by techno-optimism as a philosophy. But what about self-sufficiency? I know that many of you like the idea of homesteading and, and things of that nature. Are you tempted to believe that if you could just live off the grid with minimal reliance upon society, that somehow, some way, you could create a little utopia of your own? Are you tempted to place your hope in that? Or what about riches? Are you tempted to believe that you, if you could just get enough money, whatever that means, you could create a perfect little life for you, your family, or maybe even for others? Do not be led astray. Technology, self-sufficiency, and money cannot save you. Now, those things may be good pursuits, but put them in the right order. If you are God's sheep, something in you is saying amen as I continue to remind you that Jesus is the door to the kingdom of God. So listen to his voice today. Don't listen to the voices of thieves and robbers. They only come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus gives life abundantly. As Pastor Brandon and I were talking uh, backstage just a moment ago, he told me what his, his plans were for the prayer time after service today and that we wanted to pray for the lost. And Man, that was, that's music to my ears because I've heard so many of you talking to me about about people in your life that God has led to you, that you are now trying to lead them to Christ. Man, what a blessing that is. Let's remember as we confront those people, as we try to lead them to Jesus as much as we have the power to do so, let's remember that Jesus alone is the door. You can answer all their questions, practice good apologetical principles, things of that nature, but lead them to Jesus. Just the other day, uh, a, a friend of, of Ashley's had said that, you know, I don't know if I, I don't believe in this stuff. I'm sort of a, uh, I believe in general spirituality. It's a, a sort of going thing. And she was like, hey, like she asked Ashley, hey, would you read a book? It was on this like sort of spirituality that she subscribes to. And Ashley was like, eh, you know. Whatever. I'll read a book, as long as you read a book. It's a great deal to make, I'll tell you what. So Ash is going to read that book, and, and she's going to disagree with it vehemently. But she's going to hand this girl the book of John. 
And I, 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 as we talked about this, I encourage you to do so because I truly believe that God's inerrant word will lead you to Christ and that he works through the reading of his word by the power of the Spirit. I was like, there's, look, we can give her all the deriv- derivative works in the world. We could give her the little pamphlet that we have out there at the table, the gospel. This is like a, a little Paul Washer book. It's helpful, don't get me wrong. But I was like, if she's going to sit and she's really going to read, I want her to see Jesus in primary source material. You know what I mean? I want her to see who Jesus is according to the word of God. Because I want her to see the door. I don't want her to be distracted by other philosophies or someone else talking to her. I want her to hear from God himself about God himself. Because Jesus does give us life abundantly. John 10, 9 through 10, closing our passage, says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Those last few words of verse 10 stand out to me because they are a summation of the prior verse. Abundant life is salvation, freedom, sustenance, and joy. Those last few words stand out. But before we go there, I, I, I want to point out something. It's something that, that I was looking at in, in the past uh, verse as we looked at Jesus as the light of the world. But this is even, even better. It says, if anyone enters by me. That word anyone truly means anyone. There is no one too far gone. There is no one that God says, no, not that kind of person. You can't be too sinful. No. That word anyone really means anyone that enters by that door will be saved. Now we can talk all day, and we will next week, about who those people are and how God knows his own sheep. But anyone who enters through that door will be saved. Because God is not a respecter of persons, as the KJV puts it. It's in Acts 10.34. And Paul puts it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If anyone, anyone, enters by Christ, they are saved. And I praise God for that. Because, look, I know me. And I, th- I hope you know you. There's nothing in here that would make me worthy of His grace and His mercy. There's nothing in here. I'm glad that He saw fit to call me. And I'm beyond thankful for that. But it wasn't because of who I am. It's because of who He is. His grace, His mercy. And I'm thankful that for, for all of that because that means I am saved. Sometimes we don't like to use this word, saved, anymore. I don't know why. Well, I actually do know why. It's because saved implies that we have been saved from something. We cannot forget that hell is real. And forgiveness in Christ is the only means of escape. We are saved from God's wrath. 
The passage we read earlier from Luke shows that there will be a day when those who fail to enter by the narrow door will be locked out of the kingdom of God permanently. The offer of the gospel will be removed. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell. And that's real. But if you enter by Christ, if any of you, no matter what you've done, where you've come from, what socioeconomic level you're at, it doesn't matter if anyone enters by the door of the sheep, that is Christ, you are saved. And because you're saved, you can go in and out. That's what he says. You can go in and out. That means you're free. Your joy is no longer determined by your circumstances. Your hope is no longer in a world that is passing away. Your peace comes from Christ himself. You can glorify God as you were intended and worship him with everything that you do. You're free. You can fulfill your purpose. A lot of people wander around and they're asking, what is my purpose? How do I fulfill my purpose? Do you want to know what your purpose is? To worship God. That's your purpose. That's it. Now, how you do that is manifold, right? It's, it's all over the place. You work heartily as unto him. You love others as yourself. You love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of these wonderful things. But your purpose as a human being is to worship God. And because you are saved, you are free to do so. Previously, you were not free to do so. Did you know that? You were not free in your sin, in your unrepentance. But when you laid that sin at the foot of the cross, you trusted in Christ, you became free. You are now free to go and worship God. You can actually do that. I was talking, I was praying about that with the, the band this morning. In fact, I often do so. I, I start my prayer with, Lord, we thank you that you have opened a way for us to worship. That is the blood of Christ applied to us. It makes us acceptable for him. It's a good thing. I don't know about you, but in this freedom, in this thought of being free from circumstance, driving my joy, I, I realize that I do let my circumstances drive my joy far too often. Any of you feel like that sometimes? Right? Yeah, me too. I have melancholy days more than I'd like to admit. And I need to remember my joy is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. It's already accomplished. It's there. I just need to remember how he saved me. I just need to remember who he is and what he's brought me into. That not only can I worship him here and now, but in the time to come, I will worship him forevermore. In a place where there is no pain and no suffering. No dealing with sin of, inside of me. No dealing with sin from others. No dealing with a broken world. None of that. Just freedom and joy to come. And because that promise is out there, that hope is out there, I can take true joy here and now. I need to remember that those small, trivial temptations, the, the, the difficulties, that I can count it all joy. Look, speaking of freedom, if you're in sin this morning and you don't know how to get out, remember that Jesus has freed you he has freed you to confess your sin. 
He's freed you to repent of it and freed you to walk in new life. That's freedom. Did you know that sin is bondage? You have freedom in Christ, Christian. Take hold of it. Walk in new life. And as you walk in that new life, remember that Christ will sustain you. He says you will find pasture. You will find pasture as you exercise the freedom that you have as one of Christ's sheep. Remember, we just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He's the bread of life. And he gives us the light of life. That passage that we looked at just this past week, right? He says, you, you will have the light of life. It is possessive. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he says that those who follow him have the light of life. He will sustain us. There is vitality in Christ. Don't walk around like you're dead. Don't keep doing dead people things. You know what dead people things are? A sin. Don't keep doing dead people things. You're not dead anymore. You have life in Christ. Walk according to his glory, according to his light. Walk in his light. Graze, graze on that pasture. Partake. He's the bread of life. Your body may pass away, but you will be eternally sustained by Christ. And you will be glorified on the last day if you enter through that door. Are you one of Christ's sheep this morning? That's what I would ask. Are you one of Christ's sheep? Do you hear his voice today? If you're hearing his voice for the first time today, I just encourage you, walk through that door. Place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Trust him with your life. Repent of your sin and walk with him. Look, nobody's saying this is an easy path to walk, but it's worth it and it's good. Is Jesus calling you back today? Maybe you're like, yeah, I know him. Been a believer for all my life. But have you wandered? Sheep wander, you know that? Sometimes sheep wander. Remember whose you are and who leads you to good pasture. Walk with him. Trust him. The good shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Follow his voice. Repent. Believe. Find pasture with him. This week and next, I want to end this, these two sermons. They're very pastoral, and I, say, I mean that in the, uh, in the shepherding sort of sense, in nature. I'm going to end with Psalm 23. I know this is sort of normative. Everyone knows this psalm, but I, I would like for you to uh, do one of two things with me. If you don't know it by heart, I don't know if we've got it in the, in the slides back here. Dale's got it. All right. Uh, so if you know it by heart, feel free to say it with me. Uh, we will say it together. Um, actually, let's do that. If you don't mind standing with me, let's, let's read uh, Psalm 23 together, all as one body. Uh, and I'm doing this live, so for, forgive me uh, <laughs> if I stumble a little. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.